Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Good morning, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm, I'm the best I've ever been in my entire life, I would say. <laughs> wow, congratulations. I, I, yeah, I would in say. all the years we've been doing this podcast. Yeah. Since January 2014. Not even just, not even just a little bit. My friend. My friend. <laughs> By far the best I've ever been. By far. Should we explain that for anyone who hasn't seen it? I mean, it's extraordinary. Uh, Well, that was Pep Guardiola talking after uh, Man City's game at the weekend where he said it was the best performance of the season. And the guy said, really, you think that's the best performance of the season? And he leaned into the microphone and gave him this kind of, I could eat your kidneys with some fava beans and a nice Chianti kind of look and said, By far. By far. Um, by far. I, I liked the gumption of the Sky reporter who who was sort of like, when he said it was the best performance of the season, he just said, really? Yeah. <laughs> he, he said, what did you like about it so much? Everything. Everything. It, it was so, so good. So good. Yeah, it was great. Well, can I just shock you, Andrew? I yeah. thought Arsenal's performance against Burnley was their best performance of the season. By far. By far. <laughs> I'm not sure it was. I'm not sure it was. I have to say, you know, having had some time to reflect on it and to think about it and to write about it this morning, that I don't think it was quite as bad a performance as it felt in the immediate aftermath of the, the final whistle, because... You know, dropping two points against Burnley was not good. I'm not um, defending it in any way, but uh, I don't think it was quite as bad as as it uh, has been made out. Nevertheless, uh, it was a hugely disappointing result in the end, and the fact that we couldn't take three points to to end what has been, in fairness, a very miserable January in all. Mm. Uh, all, yeah, I, th- I liked Orbino's stat. We've had more red cards than goals in January. <laughs> so, you know, I, yeah, I, 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 think, I think we were looking for a little bit of something just to give us that that little re um, kick up the arse of confidence or whatever you want to call it going into this break. And instead, we're going into it in this kind of introspective mood, which is never... Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's never, never healthy great. for Arsenal. It's no, never healthy. No, it's like I, going I, I, into an interlull and just go, oh, here we go for two weeks. We've got to talk about how bad everything is, which is, I you know, agree. not unreasonable. But and, and not all of us get to go to Dubai, Andrew, and enjoy the warm winter yeah. sun for some respite. Some of us have to stay here, you know, in yeah. Northern Europe, ruminating on disappointing results. Um but I, but actually, broadly, I do agree with you. Um, I said as much to you after the game. I was, it was a really disappointing result. There's no getting away from that. It's a game Arsenal should have won. Um, but I think there, I, personally, I think there are there are games when we have played worse. And I think, mm. I, you know, it's one of those sort of annoying things to say. I appreciate, but I think eight times out of ten, you probably win this game doing as much as Arsenal did. Um, but they didn't. Mm. And I really felt like they were going to. There was that period in the second half where around 65, 70 minutes, the crowd sort of, I think, injected. They sensed the urgency. The players sensed the urgency. There was a flurry of chances mm. one after the other. And it felt like that was the moment it was going to happen. And then it didn't. It didn't. I mean, I have to say, there wasn't much about yesterday that was unexpected you know, in terms of what we were capable of with the players we had available to us. Yes. In yeah, terms of in terms of what Burnley were going to do and how they were going to do it. Um, nevertheless, I think there are certain aspects of the way that we played, which, you know, do merit discussion and maybe merit mm-hmm. some, some analysis. And I think uh, Mikel Arteta said it afterwards that the, the build-up was too slow. It was too pedestrian. And that was... That was there from the start. And that was a little bit of a worry. That was a little bit of a nagging doubt in my mind because, you know, after what had happened against Liverpool, I know that when you play on a Thursday, sometimes it can take you a little while to get going. And I think that was the case in the first half. But but that that energy that you really need to show from the first minute, you know, have a, a storming first few minutes and it can really energize the stadium and the fans and everything else. Instead, we got a lot of like, oh, okay, Burnley are gonna sit off, maybe press a little bit. We'll pass it around, keep it safe. Don't do anything silly. Let's grow into the game a bit. And I'm not sure that that was necessarily. I know hindsight. Hindsight is a wonderful thing and everything, but I did worry about that aspect of our performance. That it, it felt a bit jaded from the start. Um, and I know it's not always possible to come out of the blocks absolutely flying and, and everything else. There's two teams involved in a game of football. It's not just about you, but that did worry me a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that the I, I think that the red cards that Arsenal have received in the last few weeks, we've sort of talked about them and tried to analyse them. And I, I felt like today was a day, sorry, yesterday rather, mm. was a day we really paid for it. I felt like, I was watching the game and couldn't help but think, you know, by all rights, we should have our first two central midfielders Mm. available for selection today. And I think not having them really affected the build-up of the team. I think you're right to say kind of pace and energy, but I felt like our options were limited when we played out from the back. You know, that shape of the midfield that we had with Sambi, the, the deepest of the triangle, and the other two kind of further ahead. Yeah. I just felt like it, we didn't trust Sambi with the ball in that situation. Burnley packed that centre out over the pitch. They they marked him very tightly. 
And whereas we would normally, I think, often give party the ball there and say, go on then, let's play through. I felt like we just didn't really do that so much against Burnley. Instead, we were going out to fullbacks and looking for long mm. diagonals. And so I just felt like our build-up play was kind of stunted from the off. And I actually thought that continued all up through the centre of the pitch. I mean, I thought Martin Odegaard was maybe Arsenal's best player. Certainly in the first half, he was Arsenal's yeah. best player, I thought. But as good as he was, I felt we missed having him higher up the pitch. And I, and I felt that the shape of the midfield was just far from ideal. Um so yeah, I think I, I think that our build-up wasn't good enough yesterday, and I think we paid a big price for the suspensions that we've collated in the last few games. Yeah, look, I, I whatever you think of Granite Xhaka, but I think if you have Granite Xhaka and Thomas Partey in that team yesterday, it's probably it gives you that extra bit which would allow you to um, to probably nick the goal that that you need to win a game like that. And it's not uh, not as if we didn't have chances. So we'll come to that. But yes, certainly yeah. midfield was an issue. Martin Odegaard, I agree with you. He was very, very good. I think he was trying to do two things at once in a way in that he was trying to pick the ball up, trying to, to oil the engine, if you like, but also try and get forward and... and uh, create and get into the areas where we know that he can he can actually provide that pass and there were some moments where it sort of happened for him mm-hmm. and he was involved I think in pretty much everything um, that we did that was positive in that first half there was uh, a breakdown the right hand side one of the few moments where we managed to get a few one-touch passes together. I think there was actually a little bit of a break where the ball came off a Burnley player and we picked it up. He scooped a lovely pass over to Smith Rowe, who who played it back to him. His shot was saved by the goalkeeper. And I think Lacazette had a follow-up shot saved. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so there were, there were moments. But yeah, without that real control in midfield, I think, um, yeah, I'd have to re-watch and just look at, Sambi's performance again because I think he was tidy when you look at the stats he was certainly tidy in possession it's just not having that that ability to play vertically through the middle of the pitch so you do go wide and then it becomes not quite um well, maybe it was easy for Burnley because when we were getting the ball into wide positions we were crossing it Aaron Ramsdale saying afterwards well that's meat and drink to them you know we were playing in a True. way which yeah. You know, we we don't have the kind of penalty box presence to maintain that kind of um, performance. Like we we played into their strengths in a way. You know, at a time when we were sort of subpar or or below par, maybe, or certainly in terms of what we did from an attacking perspective. But I was, I think we should have had a bit more variety in the way that we attacked their box. I think so. You know, if you look at the areas we got into particularly wide, particularly on the left-hand side, you know, um, mm. with Martinelli and Tierney, I was struck by the types of delivery we played from those areas. It felt like we were lifting crosses, floating crosses into the box more mm. regularly than not. And against Burnley, that's a bit of a, a fool's errand, really. I mean, especially with Lacazette up against their two centre-halves. Um, as for Sambi... I honestly don't think it's sort of... uh, I don't mean it to be too critical of him. I just think the way Burnley play, it's a 4-4-2. They've got two centre-forwards, so they've had two players kind of buzzing around Sambi at all times. Mm. They squeezed him quite tight as well. And you're asking Sambi to do what Thomas Partey does there, who, even though his form's been up and down this season, he is still a bit of a kind of magic trick player when it comes to 
getting away from a couple of markers and getting the ball up the pitch. I mean, mm. he shares that Santi Cazorla uh, capacity to kind of escape attention uh, in that position. And Sambi, I think it's just too much to ask of him, really. And, and I felt like the other players, crucially, didn't fizz the ball into him in the same way they would uh, Partey. And mm. then you ended up going out through the fullbacks. Um, we didn't have one of our fullbacks, although I thought Ben White did a decent enough job at, at right back. Um, and Kieran Tierney from the left-hand side, who I, I, I think his distribution is is often a bit unimaginative. Um, yeah, we talked about this the other day, didn't we? Just sometimes yeah. there's a just a lack of composure at, at moments where you think, you know, given his quality and given his experience, he should be a bit better. I think he was. He was certainly below par yesterday, uh, and, yeah. and not quite as adventurous as I, I. I think we've seen him in the past. He took the I'm not going to say the easy option, but the the backwards option a bit too often for my liking. Mm-hmm. And there was one in particular in the second half where he picked the ball up and immediately went backwards. It's sort of like that that thing that Granit Xhaka does that drives people mad, and there was quite a reaction from the the crowd when he did it. So I don't know whether he yeah. was. You know, not a hundred percent, but yeah, it was interesting. And, and yeah, I, I, it's interesting. Arteta said after the game he felt that in the last fifteen minutes of the first half, um, we sort of really turned up the uh, the pressure. But I didn't quite see it like that myself. I felt that in the first half hour we had more control, and in the last twenty minutes, the first half. Um, Burnley sort of really settled a bit better. Um, I know we had a couple of chances on the break. Saka mm. flashed one wide, didn't he? Yeah, it was a good uh, move, a right nice move. The yeah. Half. yeah. Uh, I mean, they were the moments really in the first half. That Saka chance, um, Odegaard, that effort that was blocked, Lacazette with the follow-up. There was a Lacazette Obviously, run as well where he picked the ball up and yeah. drove through, but it was a very good run, but a terrible shot. Um, yeah, I mean, that was sort of the paradox of his performance in some respects. I thought that he actually got into some better shooting positions um, than we're accustomed to, but he didn't deliver once he was in them. No, I mean, second half, I think you're right to say... We had a close shave at our end, by the way, with the corner that Ramsdale completely miscued the punch. That was sort of their only attacking threat, really. Yeah, I mean, there was that one, but they did have a... There was a... In the early stages, there was one, I think, a cross deflected towards the the top corner and Ramsdale... Oh, yeah. ...dealt with it pretty well, and there was also a a corner routine. Ben Mee, I think, just hooked the ball over the bar. It wasn't too far wide and over. So there were a couple of warning signs there. But mm. but quickly enough, I think it became very much a game of, okay, come and break us down. If we can hit you on the break, we'll try and hit you on the break. But come and break us down. And they sat. Yeah. And it is tough. And it is difficult. And, you know, you need to be precise. And you need... I think in a in a game like that to have a bit of imagination and a bit of variety to your play and there perhaps wasn't quite enough of that but that period that you mentioned in the in the second half I think at one point they put up the stat we had 90% possession in that 5 minute wow. period and there were chances um I'm just sort of going through them again there was um the free kick Odegaard free kick um there was a, a shot for Smith Rowe um, from a corner, corner and that's a really, really good save. It's a really good save. When you look at it, it comes through a 
a forest of legs and and everything else. So the goalkeeper did extremely well there. Um, another day that just flashes in, you know. Um, and then there was the big, big chance when Tierney sent Smithrow down the left-hand side. He drove into the box, got into a great position. Lacazette called for the ball. He gave him the ball exactly where he wanted it. And the finish just isn't, it's not good enough. It's not good mm. enough. He, he miskicked it, miskicked it wide with the goal at his mercy because, you know, he had all the goal to aim for. The goalkeeper was at his near post. He just needed to put that on target and that's a goal. Yeah, it was sensational play for Smith Rowe yeah. in the build-up, I thought, to, to get round his man, pull it back. I feel like Aubameyang actually scored a goal quite like that. Was it the Spurs goal, maybe, where it's sort of coming across his body in that way? Um, mm. Yeah, it, listen, he doesn't get the right contact and it goes wide. And that was the period, you know. It, it really felt like we were turning the screw on Burnley at that time. They were barely getting a kick in our half. I think basically Rob Holding was playing in our half on his own on the halfway line, essentially. And even Gabriel was pushing high up the pitch at that time. And I have to be honest, in the ground, people had the impression that it was coming. You know, people were turning each to each other and saying, it's coming, we're going to be all right, we're going to get this goal. Yeah. Um, and when that moment passed and when that period passed and we didn't quite sustain it that's when you began to feel the belief evaporate and and personally I think this is where Arsenal really suffered from a lack of options on the substitutes bench I think so often mm. in these games where you're on top you're doing a lot of the running you're trying to make you know chances trying to win the game it's being able to bring on game changers, fresh legs, genuine new threats into a game at 65, 70 minutes that can turn the tide in your favour, yeah. that can see that defensive line crumble. And when you looked at our bench, it was it was pretty uninspiring, wasn't it? It was. I mean, we, we had five Hale End Academy guys on the bench, four of whom have never played a minute of senior football for the first wow. team. So there wasn't a huge amount there for Mikel Arteta to work with, but I I still, I, I mean, I understand. I think you're absolutely right that at that period, when you've, when you've built some pressure and maybe you haven't found a way through, bringing somebody else with some quality on, somebody to add something uh, in attack is, is a really uh, good idea. Um, I, I just can't quite get my head around the substitution that we made though because I will accept and hold my hands up and say Mikel Arteta and his staff are far more informed than you or I on the fitness of Emil Smithrow mm -hmm. but taking him off basically it was like releasing the pressure valve on Burnley because after that we didn't we didn't have anything and I I I question it because he didn't come off until the 76th or the 77th minute, I think. Let me just double check here. 77 minutes. So there's 13 minutes to go. We've got a two-week, two-and-a-half-week break. We're going away for some warm-weather training. We can wrap him in cotton wool. We can wrap him in the finest of seaweeds we're in the, when we're in the seven-star hotel. We can give him the massages and everything that he needs to mm -hmm. get those muscles back and everything else. But in those 13 minutes, you're looking for somebody to do something 
with the ability to do something, and and he is one of those players. Um, when he went off, we just didn't really do a great deal after that, and I, I, I think I find it hard to to reconcile our need for a goal and the decision to take off one of the most likely contributors to an Arsenal goal. Again, the fitness thing, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I do think 13 minutes in a game like this, we we would have been better served with him on the pitch. And in particular, when Eddie and Kedia came on and sort of played where? I'm not quite sure. Not up front, not quite a second striker, hanging left a little bit. Yeah. It just didn't really... I mean, what was the plan there? I mean, you're putting a guy on... And I mean, this is no disrespect to Eddie, but like, and I know we don't have a great deal of choice when it comes to experienced changes, but like his last Premier League goal was in April 2021. And that was one of two Premier League goals he got the entire season. You know, he hasn't scored as a substitute all season, I don't mm-hmm. think. You know, this wasn't like a sure thing or somebody who was really going to go. If you're going to do like Enkedia for Lacazette, I could. I could understand that. Play him up front, let him poach in the penalty box, let him get in there and just stab something home or whatever from close range. You know, one of those those kind of goals that he scores in a, in a sort of chaotic penalty box moment that we could have created, I think, if we kept Smith-Rowe on. So well, what did you make of that change? Well, I thought it would be Lacazette, I have to say, when I saw Eddie stripping off and was trying to kind of figure out the permutations in my mind. Um uh, the only mitigation I can offer is maybe there is something physical that we... I mean, we do know that he's not been training very much in the yeah. and that he's missed games. So maybe there was more to it than we know. Um, but I do think that it hurt us because... Funnily enough, I didn't think he had a great first half, Smith throw. I thought that we struggled to sort of access those um, kind of number 10 areas mm. in, in that part of the pitch. But I, I thought in the second half, he was the guy who looked like he might make something happen. So yeah, I think it I think it hurts a great deal. I think to be honest though, bringing off an attacking player with 75 minutes on the clock, every team's doing that. It's about what you bring on instead, I think. And you know, we're we're going from a position where just a few weeks ago we had the luxury of it being Smith Rowe coming on. At yeah, that yeah, time. yeah. True. To play against tired legs, to run and you know, create havoc and score goals. It's a very different thing. You know, whatever you think of Eddie Nketiah, it's a very, very different thing bringing him on in those circumstances. And, you know, I mentioned this on my video, but uh, post-match video, but two of our rivals for the top four got late, late winners recently. United Mm. beat West Ham, Spurs beat uh, Leicester. And when you look at the players they brought on, United brought on Rashford, Cavani, Martial, who's not been in great form, but he still cost 40 million quid and has played for France. Spurs brought on uh, Matt Dotti, who they brought from Wolves, 20 million. Lo Celso, Berwine, who came on and scored a couple of goals. Dutch international. You know, I, I really think that Smith Rowe coming off shouldn't have been as costly as it was because, you know, it was the fact that we didn't have somebody good to come on and replace well yeah that's it I mean that's what makes it costly though that's what gives you pause for thought when you make that decision is like yeah is Eddie and Keddie's are are his fresh legs 
sufficient than. Than, than, than Smith Rowe's quality, and I'm not sure that that's the case. Certainly not to yeah. play in Kedia where he did. I mean, what do you make of, you know, the idea of, look, we need a goal. We have a young, exciting winger on the on the bench, mm. Omari Hutchinson. Mm. Like, if he's on the bench, he's an option, surely. Uh, and I understand the idea that, you know, a young player coming on for his debut, maybe if you're concerned about getting caught on the counter-attack, he might not be as aware defensively as he should be, but you're looking to you're looking to score and you're looking at your bench and you're saying, okay, it's not ideal. It's not perfect. Um, but, you know, what would five or seven minutes of that guy have hurt, really? Particularly as we got caught on the counter-attack anyway and Burnley had a couple of shots towards the end. You know, it wasn't like we were um, completely solid back there anyway. We were pushing forward. We were trying. So just something. I mean, do you think perhaps some of the things that have happened recently have made Arteta a little bit risk averse you know I'm not saying that um, you know like the Partey thing that was a risk mm-hmm. and it backfired Tommy Asu we bring him back for Liverpool see what happens and now he's going to be out for a couple of weeks so he's like oh if I take another risk this week chances are you know something terrible could happen um, but I do wonder about just having that little bit more drive or initiative or or willingness to take an attacking risk that could potentially get you the goal that you need in 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 a tight game it's interesting because i think at forest and i think in the second leg against liverpool i think he did switch things up in terms of the system and i think he went and played with wing backs in order to sort of get more attacking players on the pitch um like i think saka actually finished as a as a wing back against liverpool not for very long but for a couple of minutes mm. and i did sort of look at it yesterday and think do we need gabriel Holding and Ben White on the pitch, you know, could you have taken Rob Holding off and brought on somebody who could give you more attacking threat as a fullback or wingback on the right hand side? Someone who could get outside Saka, even in an absolute emergency, put Saka in there and put Hutchinson in front, and we've mm. done it before. Um, yeah, I, I do agree with you there. I, I, I think as well, uh, even with the players on the pitch, we in that last fifteen minutes we didn't really threaten. Like, it didn't feel like, oh, there's a goal coming no. here. Once that spell had gone, and like you say, once that change had been made. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think there's definitely regrets and things we could have done differently. Um, I do wonder as well, you know, Burnley hadn't played for three weeks and there's good and bad to that, as mm. we know. But I think if there is a st- if there is a sort of type of game that might suit a team that have had a layoff, it might be one like this. In that, normally, what breaks you in that last twenty minutes is physical and mental fatigue. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't need to have your passing as sharp as you would have it from match practice. But if you've got that fitness and that mental energy, maybe you've got a better chance of lasting out the ninety minutes. Which um, as much as I uh, sort of, well, I sort of mildly loathe Burnley and hope they go down. I have to give them some credit for that, at least. Yeah, look, they defended well. 
we talked about how maybe we did make it easy for them in terms of, of how we attacked. And when you think of our best moments, it was the low crosses. You know, it was the yeah. Odegaard corner to Smith Rowe. It was Smith Rowe's pullback. It was, um, you know, for Lacazette, it was Smith Rowe's pullback for the Odegaard chance. Those moments where we did manage to overlap a little bit and pull it back, but but putting crosses into the box for these guys to Tarkovsky and me to just you know head away. That's what they do. That's what they're good at. Um, I mean, coming back to the issue of not having very much to choose from uh, when it came to players on the bench, how do you how do we how do we discuss that properly? Because you know we know that there are a couple of players away at Afcon, um, but at the same time, you know there are fairly serious deficiencies in this squad that I mean we've let players go this month which has contributed to our our lack of depth mm-hmm. um, I know people bring up Ainsley Maitland-Niles but you know there's a guy who could have played in midfield yesterday so you could play Odegaard further forward you know I know yeah. it's water under the bridge right and all that kind of stuff perhaps. or right back indeed um, you know the those are decisions which, even if you can rationalize them at the time, they still play a part in, in how you view what happens. Like if we win against Forest and if we get to the Carabao Cup final and if, you know, we beat Burnley, um, nobody's questioning those, but we didn't. And then you're looking for not necessarily root causes, but things that maybe you could have done better. So how do we talk about this depth and how do we talk about what we need to do about it? Because even with the AFCON players back, and even when we get Thomas Partey and, and Granit Xhaka back in, it still feels like we're short when it comes to key positions, not least a player who can score goals, uh, a striker, um, which feels more and more pressing as as each week has gone on in this month. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's not long ago, December, we were scoring goals for absolute fun. Um, but obviously, we've. it's been a very weird month, I have to be honest, because mm. there have been some highs, despite the fact we haven't scored any goals or won any games. Um, the Man City game, the performance we produced on that occasion was very heartening. And I think people were about as positive about this team and this manager after that as they've been almost after any result. Um Similarly, the first leg at Anfield uh, in very different circumstances, very different type of game. Uh, People, I think, were really uh, enjoyed that. Mm. And yet we're sat here at the end of it um, without a win, without a goal to our name and out of two cup competitions. I think the, the saving grace if you're looking for one is that it's not been too costly in Premier League terms. I mean, they were... They were big points yesterday and points we could have really done with, but we haven't had many league games, have we, in this run? No, I mean, one league game or two league games in in January, one was on the first and and then we had the one yesterday. And, you know, we talk about goals in the previous Premier League games. You scored three against Southampton, two against West Ham, four against Leeds, five against Norwich. We did score against uh, Man City, of course. And yesterday was was a blank. but the way that we the way that we're going to finish this season in a successful way or or successful shape is 
is going to be, I think, defined by games like this. You know, mm-hmm. when you're playing against Burnley and we've got Wolves and we've got Brentford and we've got Watford and Leicester and Villa. And these are the games where I think our final league position is going to be determined. You know, we've got some uh, difficult games as well. There's Liverpool, there's Chelsea, there's a North yeah. London derby, of course, as well, which is a, a huge, almost like a six-pointer in, in some ways. Um, but we need we need to score goals and we need... I think somebody who can produce in a performance where maybe, look, we had 20 shots yesterday. This wasn't yeah. one of those games where we we barely got a shot. Um, you know, we've seen worse, way worse attacking performances than this. But I think it's it's just sort of highlighted to me that the, you you talked about Cavani and Rashford and Martial mm-hmm. coming off the bench for for United and 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 having players who can find a way to get the goals in games like this um where it is a struggle but you have that player who can produce in a in a in an instant or who is clinical enough that when you get the big opportunity in a game it is taken like if we didn't have 20 clear cut chances yesterday with 20 shots which is very different but we did have one very 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 good chance to score the goal that i think probably would have won that game you know it didn't feel like a a 2-0 3-0 game maybe it could end up that way if burnley have to come out and push on and you can take advantage but you know it was very similar to the goal or the game against burnley away from home where it took one moment, one moment of of something, which was a Martin Odegaard free kick. But this is this is where we're this is where we're going to struggle unless we can get somebody who can um, produce f- with with greater frequency in front of goal. We're going to have a few more days like this, and I think that could be really costly. Yeah, and I think it's not just about the chances that we had and taking those. It's about how um, a top striker might uh, help you convert more of that territory into chances. I mean, Mm. you know, if I think of the crossing positions we had yesterday, 12 corners for a start, free kicks around the box, um, countless times we got in on the overlap and played it into the penalty area to no avail. If you've got someone who is a genuine threat of Mm. getting on the end of those things, you know, suddenly that changes the dynamic. I, I agree about the striker. I mean, the Maitland-Niles thing, has it cost us this month? Is it really difficult to say? I think he probably would have helped. It's difficult to know to what extent, um, in my opinion. Mm. And I, I still think that as much as we we do need an alternative to Shaka and Partey, who is more kind of oven-ready to step into those positions when those players aren't available, because it seems that for various reasons they aren't available quite frequently, I still think that once we get uh, our AFCON players back, our suspensions back. The midfield, I can see, I can see a path that we can kind of muddle through there. I do think the current striker situation with just Lacazette and Eddie and Ketia, I, I, I do worry about that one much more, and I, I think there has to be a solution there. Um, whether it's in the transfer market, whether it's in somehow patching things up with. Abamyang, whatever sort of condition he might be in, we don't really know. He's not played since early December. Mm. Um, 
I feel like we will need more from that position. I just, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I'd be very surprised. I mean, for a start, you know, we are very reliant. And he, to be fair to him, I'm touch, touch wood when I say it, but he's been pretty good resistant to injury, Lacazette. But if he were to get injured for any significant period of time, just think about, you know, where that would leave us. Yeah. I mean, you're then... I think your options are Eddie Nketiah, who's going to be leaving the club in a few months. Um, and look, I'm not making any um, aspersions about his commitment while he's on the pitch. I don't think that's an issue. I think his quality is the issue. This is a guy with two Premier League goals in, in two seasons. I know he scores some goals in the EFL Cup, but but you have to look at the calibre of the opposition that he's scoring against. Um, or you're using Gabriel Martinelli up front, and I think that's basically your only other option unless you do something like a Man City false nine kind of vibe with Smith Rowe or somebody like that. Yeah, but Pepe, yeah. I don't think that's necessarily ideal. I mean, we did say I have a lot of questions about, um, or a few questions about Pepe as a potential candidate for the center forward position. Um, I don't know if I have one here. Um, but I mean, do you think that's in any way realistic uh, Paul Bowman for example at yeah. the Wanners says talk of needing a striker have we all forgotten about Pepe uh, when played has done well especially at the end of last season um, and we could play him and Martinelli allow them to to interchange um, yeah scoring goals at AFCON as well mm, is a second half of the season player as well I think yes that's true uh, I hope that your uh, theory proves correct <laughs> this time as well. Um, I mean, I don't see him getting in on the right-hand side regular, regularly uh, ahead of Shaka. Shaka? Let's not play Shaka on the right-hand side. No. Um, I mean, we, I think we're at the point where all options have to be considered. Are we not? Um, yeah. You know, I know you wrote about Martinelli through the middle. I think we're entering the period where all these things have to be on the table because we are a week from the end of the transfer window. And my optimism about uh, landing what I would call a, a top striker is diminishing, I think. You know, yeah. it's difficult to see how the dominoes fall for that deal to happen. Um so I think all these kinds of internal solutions have to be considered at this point, however wild they may feel or however unlikely we mm. might consider them. Yeah, I mean, that's the reality that we're, we're faced with. If we can't get the player we want in, in January, and I, I think we'll probably touch on this in part two because we do have questions about it, but we are maybe going to have to look for different solutions and internal solutions and, and ways of of moving the pieces around when we've got a few more pieces. Well, that's the problem. That yeah. is the problem right now. Um, and even so, you wonder if, you know, adding something in January will enable us to use some of the, the players that we have a little bit better, if you know what I mean. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I think... You could talk about Saka looking a bit tired yesterday, and I think as the game went on, you know, having taken quite a kicking from Burnley as well, Ooh, yeah, you know, he he really did look quite tired. Um, and you wonder, well, if you've got Pepe back, you know, there's a guy who can who can slot into that position. I mean, those are two good players to have for your right hand side, Nicolas Pepe and Bukayo Saka. I know Pepe's season has been a bit disappointing so far, but you know, he has shown that he's 
capable of delivering and producing and scoring goals and at a time where we need and may need to augment what we're not getting from a striker with goals from elsewhere on the pitch you have to you have to really think about that oh yeah i mean i find myself wishing him back you know mm. I, I i really do and there were moments in the game yesterday where i was thinking he's kind of an optimal substitute really someone who can produce something out of nothing maybe turn one of these dead ball situations into a goal um uh, yeah i mean i think with abamyang having potentially being out of contention pepe his chances to play increase um and i think he does add some of that final third threat that we're that we're lacking yeah um so yeah, I, I hope we get him back healthy and uh, feeling confident because that will be very useful. Yeah, well, I guess he'll could hook up with the squad in in Dubai or, or maybe well, I don't depends know, on because Ivory Coast is still going, yeah, aren't they? They are. Um, so just looking at the fixtures here. Yeah, um, Ivory Coast playing on Wednesday against Egypt. Against Egypt, that'd be a good game. The Pepe El Nene. Uh, Derby, as it were. Yeah. Um, so that'd be the round sixteen. So the final, uh, if they were to go all the way, I think February it's, the sixth. Yeah. So it might be a bit tight. We play Wolves on the tenth. Maybe that'd be okay. Actually, mm. just get Maybe him straight okay. off the plane after he's won the the Afcon. Straight off the plane to the team hotel, and you know, start. I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. Three flights, straight on the pitch. Yeah. I think Arsenal come back to England that weekend, the 5th and 6th, I think. Right. So he'll miss the uh, the Dubai break, but um, could be in contention for the Wolves game. I mean, let's hope we've got some more options available. Mm. But just on the subject of Saka being kicked, should should Burnley have had 10 men yesterday? I think they were, they were lucky. I think the, the foul by Westwood was orange. It was an orange, but there was another foul on, on Gabriel, which is almost the same foul that Gabriel made to get sent off. I think it was a little less blatant, but he put his arm in his face. And I do, yeah, I saw that, yeah. I do wonder if, you know, look, I'm not saying that Gabriel should roll around on the ground and, and hold his face and everything else, but I do wonder if maybe he made more of it. It might have been. Uh, a second yellow for Westwood. I think he was probably quite lucky, but you know, without wanting to rehash all all gra ground, it's you know very much a if that was Granit Xhaka sort of foul. Where if an Arsenal player had done it, I have no doubt whatsoever that the uh, that the the card would have come out. But I didn't. I chose not to talk about it really, and I chose not to write about it today because I'm just sort of tired, really, of the refereeing aspect of it, um, which isn't to defend the referees because I think the quality of the refereeing is is still an important issue and, and a, a, an important debate and discussion that needs to happen despite the fact that it gets shouted down um, a bit too often you know because th th there's an element of abuse and there's some tinfoil hat stuff that goes with it you know what I mean but I do think refereeing standards is an important discussion for people in football to have and to be able to have but it's it's out of our control um i guess it's it like you say it so quickly becomes 
enveloped in tribalism and conspiracy yeah. theory stuff that it's it, in a way it detracts yeah. from the the serious point yeah and look i i think i think about games like the crystal palace game when they should have been down to 10 men the everton game when they should have been down to 10 men and i you know i feel slightly aggrieved at those and i understand people who are pissed off at it i i really really do but uh you know yesterday I can be pissed off maybe that Westwood wasn't sent off, but I, I'm more frustrated by the fact that we didn't finish the brilliant chance that we had to score a goal and what that might have done. You know, instead of talking about, well, how would the game have gone if Burnley had gone down to 10 men? I, I'm more concerned about what way the game would have gone if we'd gone 1-0 up when we should have gone 1-0 up. That was in our control. You know what I mean? That That's what we can... That's what we can um, handle ourselves. We can't really um, control what the referee does or anything like it. I mean, did you see the the penalty that Liverpool got? I haven't actually, but uh, I, haven't. Hear, I hear it was. No, Hang on, I'm gonna very... I'm gonna send you a, a a thing. Will I send it on WhatsApp or will yeah, I do sure. it in the chat here or? Yeah, WhatsApp. Why not WhatsApp? Uh, here we go. Have a look at this, and, and then you know you can understand why people are going crazy about referees and things like that so yeah, and VAR I mean, in particular watch this okay okay right I'm, I'm curious as to up now uh right wow Cancelo running into the goalie oh wow that was a penalty <laughs> yeah that was a penalty Okay, I mean, he he does appear to basically just play the ball <laughs> out of touch as well, yeah, and, and then, then think, why not just run into this dude? Yeah, that is a joke. I mean, I, I don't know if did you see what um, happened to the Arsenal women's team yesterday on the subject of officiating? The ball hit the referee. Yeah, yeah, lovely pass by the referee in the build-up to Man City's goal. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but I mean, I think you're right. There is obviously a serious conversation to be had. Um, the difficulty is having it without it turning into yeah. something quite unserious and, and that's yeah. sort of the issue and, and look ultimately like I said we had the uh, the chance to, to score a goal you know discussing the referee at any great length doesn't really um, address our, our main issues I think which are quality and depth and those are things that we can address between now and the end of the uh, the end of the transfer window which I think we'll probably talk about in in part two will we because there are some questions yeah definitely I mean it's a kind of weird mini pre-season now isn't it yeah. a week until the window closes um, are you a hope and imagine everyone will be fully focused on on that aspect of things. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure we've got plenty of questions about that. All right, let's take a break right here. We will be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. Also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. Um, can I go first? Would that be okay? Because we talked about transfers before the break. I just think it's worth um, reading out some of the quotes from Mikel Arteta when he was asked about the need for newer uh, arrivals. And he said, we are certainly trying, but I don't know if we're going to be able to do it. Uh, let's see. It's not only our intention, but a lot of facts uh, that are needed to happen. Not quite sure what he mean, means there, but when talking about the market, he says, it's what we planned, but the market is difficult. It's complicated. We knew that, but it's a lot to manage. And we have to make the right decisions with players that we believe are going to really help us and try to bring in ones that can take us to the next level. Mm-hmm. So on that... We have a question here from the beautiful grown at beautiful grown on Twitter. He says, if the right targets aren't available in January, but are in the summer, would you consider sacrificing this season for the, for the right longer term rebuild or gamble with less ideal signings now? Uh, So I don't think it's as binary as that. I have to be honest. Yeah. Not sacrifice the season, but yeah, like, as much as we're all deflated and disappointed with the result yesterday, um, we are in a decent position in the table. We are sixth with games in hand on the teams in fourth and fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, if we win our game in hand on United, uh, we'll be above them on goal difference. So... You know, and we've got this far with this imperfect squad for the most part. So I don't think if we can't do it, it's a question of that's it, season Mm. over, let's all pack up and go home. I really don't. Um, You know, we all knew when the window closed in the summer that the rebuild job that is going on at Arsenal was not finished. And... Everybody knew that. They, the club knew that and we, the fans, knew that. And the mid- positions we were talking about the day the window shut were mm. central midfield and centre forward as the next steps for this team. And we're still talking about them now. Um, the difficulty comes, as the, as the question makes clear, and as Arteta's quote suggests, when you can't get what you consider to be the right people. Do you? To what extent are you prepared to compromise? Mm. Um I mean, I've always said all along that I don't want us to spend big money on somebody who's not the right person. I thought you made a really great point in your blog a few days ago where you said, you know, we were looking for a striker in the summer of 2017. We, I think it was 2017, we failed to get a couple. We ended up spending 50 million on Lacazette. Six months later, we spent just as much, if not more, on a Bamiang. 
And that was not a great piece of joined up strategic thinking. No. I really don't want us to do that again. Um, what I would say is I do wonder when I look at the futures of Lacazette and Ketia, Aubameyang, you know, there's a very real possibility that they could all go in the summer. So in that case, is there going to be room for more than one striker to come in? Like, are we going to need a star striker, but also a good, reliable backup option? And is that someone who we might be able to get that, now? That is a great point. That is a great point. You because know, I, I get, Does it have to be plan A? Can, can, can we get our plan B in January? That is a really good point. Because, I, you know, I, I think the very short-term happiness or, or buzz that you would get from a signing in January is not worth the medium to long-term frustration that we would feel watching a player who isn't quite at the level that we want them to be, you know? And it's all well and good saying, well, sign somebody, anybody, and I get it, and I understand, and I really want us to sign somebody, but you know, if you go out and get a player who just isn't right, we've done it too often as a football club. We've we've compromised or we've spent big on a player because, well, we need somebody. We need anybody. And that's why you end up spending something like £35 million on Mustafi, you know, mm -hmm. because you don't have a plan, because you, you, you don't build your squad properly. And I think, uh, you know, one of the big... What's the word one of the big issues right now is the Aubameyang situation because I don't think they had legislated or, or considered no. a situation where he was so far out in his ear, you know, at this point because the 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 Lacazette and Kedia situations aren't quite as acute when you've got Aubameyang, you know? No, so, we all said they'll look at the striker next summer because yeah. we assumed we'd get through the season with Lacazette and Aubameyang and that was a reasonable expectation to have back in August, yes. I think. Um, obviously, that's changed. And and so that's what's applied pressure to yeah. the striker situation. But, but do we have to replace Aubameyang in the next seven days? Even replacing, say, Nketiah, mm. if we assume he's going, would be a step forward and put us in a better position than we are right now. That might be what we've got to contend with or what we've got to do because maybe the chances of, of you know, I, I don't think the Vlavic thing has got any legs at this point. You know, I'd be no, hugely I, My optimism is, is diminishing all yeah. the time with that. Uh, I saw a talk of Alexander Izak, um, which I, you know, a player I like, but again, I just wonder whether that's doable in this particular window. So then you're looking at a, at, at, at a squad and thinking, okay, well, we can't get the star striker we want, but can we get somebody who is, you know, maybe going to be at the club for three or four or five years, who is younger and more efficient than Eddie and Kedia? Not younger than Eddie and Kedia, but you know what I mean? Just a young player who can come in, who's got a bit of a track record. Maybe that's the upgrade. Maybe that's somebody, you know, that we can bring in to give us the option from the bench or somebody who can compete with Lacazette because, you know, from a purely goal-scoring perspective, he hasn't done a lot this season. Like, I know 
what he can do. I know some of the qualities that he has. But at the end of the day, when you're a centre forward, you need to score goals and you need to be in a position where you can score goals. Um, and I, I think there's a whole other debate about chance creation and how much service we get our strikers. And that's been ongoing, not just lately, but certainly we were talking about that when Aubameyang wasn't scoring and, and the team wasn't really creating a great deal. So that's a, that's a separate issue. But yeah, maybe that's what we're going to have to do is look at, okay, we can get the star striker, but can we upgrade on on Enkedia and Lacazette? And maybe that's it. Yeah, um, and, and also I do think it's worth saying that potentially the loan market gives you a bit of flexibility. If you can't, if you can't, if you're not willing to nail your colours to the mast, like with a particular player and sign them permanently, there may be mm. deals you can do that can give you a short-term boost and then reassess in the summer. The, the one thing I would say is it's worth looking. Football 365 have got a, you know one of those articles where they've listed every January in and out at every Premier League club. And there haven't been a lot of deals. It's not like Arsenal were the only ones sat on their hands mm. and people are out buying players. I think basically Aston Villa and Newcastle have bought players. Um, and Aston Villa are doing so because they have a new manager. That's part exactly. of it, you know? Same yeah, with Newcastle. So it, I mean, they got to spend their way out of trouble, but Gerrard just came in and, and that's usually what did, happens. Uh, Eddie Howe, and, yeah, and yeah. obviously they've got the money. So it's a very quiet uh, window. Maybe that will change a bit in the next seven days. Um I hope so, mm. from an Arsenal perspective. C- can I ask you a question about yeah. Aubameyang? Robert Nagy on Twitter says, surely the management is aware having only Lacazette as a senior forward in the squad will not take us anywhere. Do you think Arteta is willing to mend his relationship with Aubameyang? I mean, it might depend on what we can do or can't do between now and the end of the window. Yeah. I mean, I don't... like I don't think Arteta wants to be without Aubameyang. Genuinely. I don't think he wants to to be dealing with this scenario. Mm. Um, I know that like there's a school of thought that he is, you know, these sort of confrontations are, are sort of him throwing his weight about. But at the same time, you know, he's he's got to win football matches. And Aubameyang was his main striker, you know, until such time as as all this went down. He was picking him every week, every week in the Premier League, basically. He was the number one striker. So I don't think it's a case that, you know, he really wants to just sort of make a show of him for no good reason. So it, it really depends on what has happened. And this is where we're in the dark. This is where we're in the dark, where we're just not quite sure how serious it is. I mean, it's clear it's obviously something serious, Right. It's not just coming back late, a few hours late from a... I mean, it can't be. You don't ostracize or a player isn't that isn't penalized to that extent for tardiness. Mm-hmm. You know, you might say you're missing the next game or whatever it is, but not, not this. So there's something that we don't know. And it feels like it must be something pretty serious. Whether pragmatism then becomes a factor... I'm not sure. I'm not sure, to be honest. I mean, he's fading as a top-level striker, but he is still a top-level striker. He's at the club. He's being paid. It may be a case that some kind of accord could be made 
or needs to be made, depending on what happens. But I, I saw David Ornstein um, writing today in The Athletic that it, it seems unlikely that he's going to go on the, the trip to Dubai. Mm. Which, if that's the case, then I don't think there's any hope of reconciliation, even if we don't get a striker. Do you have any concerns over what sort of a sh- shape Aubameyang might be in? I mean, he's not played football for two months. He There's a lot of cloudiness, shall we say, over his return from mm. AFCON and why exactly that went down. Um, I mean, is he in a position to be the player we need him to be? Well, I mean, do you, do you think he could come off the bench with 13 minutes to go against Burnley? And make an impact. Well, yeah. I think I'd he rather could. him coming yeah. on than, than some the, of the names we had on that yeah. bench yesterday. Exactly, no doubt about that. So yeah, I mean, I think he can contribute. Um, it might take him a little while to get match fit again, but um, you know, he's training. He's training alone, as far as we know. But um, and he is going to, you know, there there are going to be some some effects from that. But like, you know, I, I still think he has what it takes to contribute something to this season if if he is brought back but like I said I don't I don't see unless he goes on the Dubai trip I think it's pretty much done and dusted to be can I ask you a horrible question yeah what do you think is more likely that Arsenal sign a new striker or that Aubameyang is back in the squad for the Wolves game I would say a signing is probably more likely than Aubameyang being back. Yeah. And I would put our chances of signing a striker like 50-50 at best. At mm. best. Mm. What do you think? I think... Oh, I honestly couldn't say with confidence that either feel particularly likely. Um. I mean, what I'm wrestling with in my mind is, you know, some people say to me, Arteta can't go back on Aubameyang. You know, he's taken such a strong stance that to to roll back and let him back into the squad would be uh, weakening in some way. I don't agree with that personally. I mean, he stripped him of the armband. That's quite, that's sort of strong enough. Mm. If out of pragmatism, he goes, look, you're an employee of the club. We need you for between now and the end of the season. Um that I think he doesn't really lose any authority in doing that. I mean, one thing I sort of wonder is, is, is Aubameyang willing? That's the other side of it, yeah. You know, there's more than one party here. Um, I don't think the club were best pleased with his response to the disciplinary measures. And I think that's part of why we're in the position we're in. So it's got to be from both sides. Yeah. Um, I think like you, I'd, I'd veer slightly towards a new signing being likelier. But even that, um, you know, I, I really don't think comes with any guarantees. So, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting mm. few days. Okay, here's a question from the Discord. Um, let me see. I had it here and I can't find it now. Uh, okay, it comes from Matt Stretch. 91. Sounds like a superhero, Mr. Stretch. He said, Goodly-ish morning, gents. By playing Ben White at right back and introducing Holding at centre back, our ability to play from the back is severely diminished. 
in the two games we've had that lineup, it's been common to see Odegaard waving his arms at Rob Holding as if to say, come on, man, get it going. Not sure when Tommy Asu, Cedric Chambers are back, but in the interim, would it not be better to at least build up with White on the ball at centre-back? Um, and then there was another question of a similar ilk on the Twitter, if I can just find it here. Um, I can't find it. Um, yeah, I can't find it, but it was another one along those lines of getting a backup for Tommy Asu because when you play Rob Holding in that central position, you lose a lot of what Ben White brings. There's something to that. I mean, I thought uh, White did pretty well. It's not his natural game. Obviously, he doesn't provide much of an overlap on that side. But his range of passing is excellent. There was some, you know, some mm, great diagonals. Good switches. Um, yeah. I, I actually think if you were, you know, if you had um, a Ben White clone, say, and you were looking to replace Tommy Asu uh, like for like, I don't think he's a bad uh, option in that right-back role. I think mm. he's probably, I'd probably make him second best, to be honest, to Tommy Asu. Um, I think he's probably better than Chambers, probably better than... Cedric, it's just what it costs you in the middle of the pitch. I think that if we had had Shaka and Partey, that Holdings' limitations on the ball might have been less keenly felt. Yeah, I think it's a combination of factors. Um, not having the midfield build up and then relying on the centre backs to provide that, uh, I think, is what hurt us. But um, yeah, I. I I think Rob Holding is a tricky one, you know, like he's never going to be um, universally uh, loved. Like he's never going to be um, a 50 million pounds. You know, Arsene Wenger was sorry he didn't cost 50 million pounds, but there was probably a reason. <laughs> and I think, but I think despite that, he, he does occupy quite a valuable and important spot in the squad. And, as much as he has his limitations, I'm wary of being too critical because I think having a player who is competent, has a terrific attitude um, and is a good squad member in that kind of backup centre-back role at this point of where we are in the evolution of the squad is actually quite valuable. So I never want to chuck him under the bus. You know? No, I think he's a, you know, a decent squad player. Yeah. But I do think that there are limitations when he's on the ball. Like, uh, he frustrated me yesterday quite a lot because there were a few moments where he did the Ben White thing, where he, he, he not quite drove forward with the ball, but sort of ambled forward as Burnley backed off and backed off. But most of the time, he just played a pass back to Ben White backwards. Mm -hmm. And there were other moments where I could see that a player with more confidence on the ball or more ability on the ball could have moved it quicker to wide areas, particularly out to the left-hand side, where his... Uh, I think he likes to play it safe a little bit with his passing. Um, and there were a couple of moments, at least, where I think a player, A, with more ability on the ball, or B, with better ability on his weak foot would have made a bit of a difference and we could have stretched Burnley a bit more quickly. Instead, 
it's the safe pass which allows them to get organized and then, you know, they can shuffle players over and, and get in the way. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know what realistically you can expect from a backup central defender. Um, beyond what, what holding does, like I don't think you can necessarily have... Well, I say that. I mean, I'm looking maybe next season and, and hoping that William Saliba comes in and can play um, some games as well, which gives you something different. Um, but yeah, it's not to pin yesterday's performance or our, our um, lack of threat on Rob Holding. But when you are trying to play in a certain way, which is why we spent $50 million on Ben White, you know, when you have somebody who is not quite at that level in his position, then you can, the difference I think is quite marked. You can see it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, and we all know sooner or later we need another right back. Mm. No doubt about that. Uh, Hong Kong Ron at Ron D. Clark 2004 says, it seemed to me that Ramsdale's distribution in the last couple of games has been shaky and that his overall performance has been a bit jittery. Do you agree? And if so, is this a response to less than convincing defensive displays since the away game at Liverpool? Um, uh, yeah, he has been a little bit shaky, hasn't he? There's been a couple of moments that that one yesterday where he came to punch and didn't make any good connection. I think we got away with yeah. one there, to be honest. Uh, I don't quite know how it didn't go in. I think the Burnley player must have uh, kicked it off. I don't know how it went behind. And what we're doing on the ball as well, I think, is... Like, some of his passing at times this season has been outstanding. But when you look at the players that we didn't have yesterday, I do wonder if that has played a part in it. Because he did try and use the right-hand side as an outlet. But when it's Bakayo Saka out there and not Tommy Asu, who's been a, a, a target for him for the, for the high balls, um, that makes a difference. And then in midfield... It's Sambi rather than Thomas Partey or Granit Xhaka who, you know, are probably a little more secure. I know Xhaka has his moments and what have you, but when the ball goes out uh, from the goalkeeper into midfield, you'd feel a bit more confident with those two more experienced players than than Sambi at this moment in time. But I think it's notable how much longer he's playing it. That, that out ball to Martinelli, he looks for a bit as well. Um, mm. But I wonder if the fact that we didn't have those players who can progress the ball through midfield played a part in the way that he distributed the ball yesterday in particular it looked like that to me I mean he seemed quite frustrated at times in terms of availability of what he had in front of him but I do think there was a bit of a reticence to pass it into Sambi where he might have looked into party more frequently on the goalkeeping side I think I think there has been a bit of a dip in the last few games it's weird because Last three games, I think he's probably suffered a dip in form. He's also had two clean sheets, sort of weirdly. Mm. I mean, it's football's weird like that. But I do think that uh, he's been less commanding on crosses, and that was a big error in the game yesterday that he got away with. It reminded me a bit of the one at Brighton right back uh, early on in his run in the team. Mm. But I think that's probably inevitable, maybe, with a young goalkeeper, that there'll be high points and there'll be periods where they slightly less good and I guess you hope that over time those periods become less infrequent we haven't paid a great price for it um, so that's fortunate yeah and actually watching match of the day last night I realised 
that he he made quite a decent save. It seemed to me late on. It was given as a goal kick, but when um, oh yeah, the one that flew over, yeah, McNeil was yeah, it? Yeah, he got something on that. I yeah, thought so. But, yeah, yeah. So I mean, listen, he's had a great season. Um, like a lot of players in the team, he doesn't seem on top of his game right now. But maybe the break will benefit in that respect. Just like on the subject of goalkeepers, mm. we haven't really spoken about the transfer rumour for Matt Turner, you know, from the New England Revolution um, potentially coming in. And <clears throat> I do think it's quite an interesting one just because I think it shows, you know, we talk about all these positions and we talk about centre forward and centre midfield and do we need a right back? It, it, the fact that Arsenal are preparing to do that deal and working to do that deal in January, I think is quite an encouraging sign because to me, it seems like an area of the squad where they know there's going to be work required, you know, if not now, then certainly in the summer. And the opportunity is there to do the deal at this point due to the MLS calendar. Mm. And they are seemingly prepared to push ahead with that. Um, I think that can be taken as evidence that if we're not getting in the other positions, I don't think it can be put down to a lack of trying. Clearly, there is work going on on yeah, the squad building. You know? I, I guess so. But, you know, you're not going to be able to convince people um, that you're, <laughs> you know, on the money if you bring in a third-choice goalkeeper, let's say, if Leno stays, and you don't bring in a striker or a forward of some description, you know, in, in this particular window. As much sense as it makes in isolation, you know, people are going to look at the transfer window based on, on other aspects. I mean, what, what what's your take or what's your sense of not necessarily – this player himself, but what this means for Bernd Leno, who I think we we can say is going to leave because Ramsdale is the number yeah. one. He's not even getting the cup games. It's now a question of not if he's going to go, but when. So do you think this is the kind of deal that will allow Leno to go this month? Or do you reckon they'll hang on to him as a, as a kind of insurance? Because... You know, there is still quite a bit to play for this season and maybe going in with a, a rookie goalkeeper as your number two, well, rookie in, in Premier League terms, he's, he's quite experienced, he's 27, so he's not a kid or anything like that. But, you know, what's your sense of what they will do with, with Leno, even if they do this deal? Yeah, and arguably, you know, relative rookie is your number one as well. I, I think, um, I well, I was told before Christmas that, Arsenal were really determined to keep Leno until the end of the season. And I did wonder when I saw this Matt Turner story if Leno being left out of the Carabao Cup semi-final had mm. maybe changed that. I have to be honest and say I've not heard anything to suggest that his departure is imminent. Um, it may be that I just don't know. But I, my guess would be that maybe they're going to get Matt Turner in... Um, you know, to to have kind of six months before stepping up to take Leno's place in the squad, mm. and I guess he fits the profile in some respects. I mean, there's you know there's a few question marks over his ability with the ball at his feet, but I think it, it makes sense that he's a bit older. You know, twenty seven, twenty eight, um, someone who has some experience, played international football. Um, you know, I think we need that within the squad. We can't possibly look at I think going into next season with Ramsdale and, you know, a Conquo and Carl Hine or something like that, yeah. we, we need someone who is more reliable. So it's a signing that makes sense. Um, 
I think you're right, though. You know, if if that's all we get, it's going to be enormous disappointment. I just think, I just mean to say that some deals are easier to do than others, you know. And No, and I agree, I agree. Clearly, the striker one is pretty yeah, look, easy. I don't think there's any doubt that Arsenal want a striker. They know they need a striker. Um, it comes back to this idea of, of, you know, how we use our resources because, you know, it's all well and good saying, well, just go and get anyone. But six months down the line when anyone is fluffing his lines or hasn't scored since he arrived, you know, that's not going to be good for anyone. You know, there has to yeah. be some strategy to the way that we recruit. Um, we have to move away from deals of convenience that we've done in the past, which have ultimately ended up being wastes of money in a way. You know, some players leaving for free or you just basically can't give them away, can't sell them, nobody wants to buy them. You know, we have to avoid that kind of stuff and continue to avoid that kind of stuff. So that plays a part in in what we can do. But, you know, mm. it, it, yeah. Let me ask you this one. Uh, it comes on. from the Discord and it says it's from uh, Musical Notes. Here we go. Um, that's his name on the Discord. <laughs> and he says, Morning, guys. I was at the game yesterday and our fans booed at the full time whistle yesterday. I was as disappointed as the next person and our standards are rising, which is a good thing. But do you agree that people need to have a bit of context? We don't have a striker, <laughs> even though we had two. Uh, we're missing our two starting central midfielders and we had no bench, so we missed cutting edge and weren't able to change it. This is all stuff the players uh, don't get reds and the club can impact. But isn't it a case of bad timing, COVID, injuries, and the fact that although we had a good summer of transfers, you can't fix every single problem in one window? I think we have to try not to yo-yo up and down with every good and poor run, as overall, we've made great progress this year, and booing those players will end up negatively impacting the fan-player relationship. Thoughts? Well, I see you found my burner account. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, there was quite a lot of booing. What's interesting is with booing, you never know why it's happening. Booing at the time and, wasting, maybe, and f yeah. four minutes of injury time, which seemed... The referee, people weren't happy with. Um, it was interesting, Edu was on the pitch at half... Was it before the game? And I thought, I wonder if he'll get any stick, just in terms of, like, get something done. But he didn't. Nice little round of applause. I think he gave the Player of the Month award to Gabriel Martinelli. Right. Um, I, yeah, there was quite a lot of booing. But it's really difficult. I can't, you know, psychoanalyse why that happened. I do think there is a sort of... I have to say, I think that it's very difficult to take the temperature of the fan base at any one time. I mean, looking through our questions, there are some people who are really despairing about this result, some who are a bit more relaxed. I think um, my, my, my sense is that people do see this for what it is, that mm. we are in a difficult spot where circumstances have slightly conspired against us. We have contributed to that too. There's no doubt about that with things like the red cards, which to come back to, I think have been incredibly costly. Um, I, I don't think that anybody thinks that the players, you know, sort of phoned it in yesterday or didn't really put in effort. Mm. I just think that we sort of ran out of gas. And, and my sense is that, generally there's a sort of acceptance of that i mean you know as much as it might feel like some people are 
frustrated or disappointed or up in arms on the other side of the coin you could say well Mm. we've not won a game this year we've not scored a goal people could be really booing do you know what I mean Um, and and, and that isn't happening and I think that's right that that isn't happening because we are at the midpoint of what has been broadly quite an encouraging season and period mm. and it's only a fortnight or so ago that we were eulogising about what we produced about against Man City and where this team could go and all that can and I think will come back we just are in a uh, a difficult spot right now we need this break and we, we need a bit of help in the transfer market yeah it's just been what a- do you think yeah look I think the relationship between the fans and the the, the team has been really good it has been really good um, but like you say, when people boo at the final whistle, they might be expressing frustration at other things than simply the the result. And I think that might have been the case yesterday. And, you know, um, they could have been booing Burnley, you know. Yeah. I do think in general, and I'm speaking very, very generally here, um, and not just about Arsenal or Arsenal fans, but there is a... a a tendency with opinions about players, about teams, about clubs, about all of it to be quite short-term. You know, if you have a good game, you're the best player in the world. Uh, If you have a couple of bad games, you're useless and a fraud and all that kind of stuff, you know, and that's just part and parcel of, of the way the game is experienced these days. And I think we have to kind of be able to, to roll with those, extremes of opinion when I think most people realize the the truth is somewhere in the middle you know um, yeah we're absolutely. not we're not the best team in the world when we play like we do against Manchester City you know at the end of the day we got nothing from that game we, we you know we can take some yeah. encouragement from it but similarly yesterday like I said a really really disappointing result I think it's two points dropped but in the circumstances you know I've seen Arsenal play a lot worse than that you know um, so it wasn't yeah. quite the disaster. Lose that, those games. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, uh, you know, it feels it feels big, and I think, you know, I think the feeling that we have at the moment is that um, is is the disquiet is increased by things like United and Spurs sneaking late results mm. and a slight ominous feeling about the run that Spurs have, have put together uh, under Antonio Conte in the league at any rate, um, but. Fortunately, that came to an end uh, yesterday. I was very grateful for that result. Mm. Um, and there's a way to go yet. There is a long, long way to go and everything to play for. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. It's set up for a very intriguing second half of the season. Uh, just on that note, um, Jay Gooner on the Discord says, Morning, gents. Shitly January. Um, on a fresh cold day in Dublin (laughs) I dream of the heat of Dubai what will be the focus for the team during the warm weather training bonding uh, recuperation uh, relaxing fitness the guys really look knackered and I'll be excited to see how much it helps them Mm, I guess a bit of everything you know a bit of everything Um, like I don't get a sense Pepe to play striker yeah I mean I don't get the sense that this is a this is a team that that needs a lot of bonding. I think there's a good togetherness in the squad from what we understand and you can see from the way that we, we, we try and play and uh, I don't think there are any big issues in, in that sense. 
But certainly, when you look at the, the Premier League table, we're in sixth. We've 36 points. We've got two games in hand on West Ham who are on 37. We have a game in hand on Manchester United yeah. who are on 38. You know, So we can go above them if we win our game in hand and therefore top four is in our hands. And I say that with 17 games to go. So there's a huge long way to go. So yesterday, while disappointing and deflating, you know, it's still there for us to to really kick on. I, I think what it is, is a way of, A, getting the players together, refocused, let them enjoy some sunshine, bit of vitamin D, give them the massages and, and let them be pampered a little bit in terms of getting them back to full fitness, all the aches and strains and little niggles that we can work out of them for this for this what is essentially the second half of the season, it's like a reset button, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. It's like a mini mid-season break, whatever you want to call it. So it's about fitness and it's about work on the training ground and all of that kind of stuff. But I also think it's about, okay, here's what we've got ahead of us. This is what we've got to do. Let's get focused. Hopefully we've got a couple of additions along the way. Uh, who can help us, um, you know, achieve what we want to achieve, that is still there for us to achieve. Um, and maybe it has just come at exactly the right time for this group. I mean, I, I, I do think that, you know, as we talked about earlier, we have played a part in some of the issues that we faced due to the lack of squad depth in some ways. But when you let Pablo Marie go, when you let, say, Kalasinac go, two guys who really weren't involved at all, you know, you're not really costing yourself anything there. Flo Balagoon, we know the reasons why he went on loan. He didn't really play a great deal this season, so it's not like we've denied ourselves, you know, a key player. Mm. And it's just impossible not to come back to the Aubameyang situation and think that that has been a real um, spoke in the wheel, if you like. Um you know, in terms of what we've got available to us and who we've got available to us as a as a situation that we could not have really legislated for, that is the one that is causing us the the big problem at the moment. So, I think so. Yeah, and I think you know the Maitland Niles one as well can be debated too. Um, they're the two decisions that we might have have some part mm. in ourselves. Um, yeah. But I, I think Dubai would be really interesting. I mean, they went. Uh, very early on in Mikel Arteta's reign, um, they made the same trip. And of course, uh, it's where the infamous row with Matteo Guendouzi happened. Mm. Um, the, the first sort of instance of him and Arteta not quite seeing eye to eye. But for the most part, it was an incredibly positive experience. And if you speak to any player or staff member, and a lot of staff travelled um, about that, it was a really sort of crucial foundation period for Arteta's first few months in charge. And obviously we went on and won the FA Cup um, and things went pretty well. Uh, I, you know, who knows this time around, but I do think that mm. it's important for them to get away, clear their heads. There's a very clear task in front of them for them to focus on. Just recharge their batteries, basically, is what you want from it. Um and yeah, come back feeling refreshed because it has been a, a punishing mm. few weeks, I think. 
Uh, okay, let's do one more. A um, couple of questions on this. Uh, one from Twitter, AFC27, who's at Apatch27. He says, should we be worried about the minutes Saka is being made to complete alongside the rotational fouling he has to tolerate? I personally think Arteta is jeopardizing his long-term fitness instead of being brave and giving a player like Hutchinson a chance. Uh, while Andrew McClure, um, do we know his dad, Troy? I think we might remember him from something. I can't remember. Anyway, he says, Morning, lads. Do you think we've managed Saka properly? We all knew Pepe would be away at this point. However, from the end of October until New Year's Day, Pepe played a grand total of 24 minutes in the Premier League, plus a Carabao Cup match, where Saka has started every game in this period, bar Man United away. I think Saka is fantastic, but I also worry that we're going to run him into the ground. Well... The thing is, over Christmas, he was absolutely flying. He had a run between us playing Southampton on the 11th of uh, December and New Year's Day, Manchester City. He played one, two, three, four, five games, scored four goals and got two assists. Mm. Um, Since then, he... uh, He's looked... Tired, I think. I think it is fair to say he's looked tired. He's looked like a guy who takes a kicking in every single game, mm. which is what he is. Um, I still think that I understand Arteta's temptation to leave him on the pitch because he is capable of delivering moments that win games. I mean, there was uh, an instance in the first half yesterday where he went down the right-hand side and just completely took a defender out of the game with a mm. brilliant sort of body swerve and quick feet and um, may have been in the build-up to the Odegaard chance, I, I forget. But I think a lack of alternatives is the main reason he's played so much football. Well, and, and as we said previously, yeah, um, I'm hopeful that if Nicola Pepe returns, that will that some of those minutes, even if it's not starting games, will go to him. But... Who knows? I mean, Pepe wasn't getting a look in before Christmas. Well, no, he wasn't. I mean, and I think that's the question is like, would Pepe being given more minutes in October, November have stood Bukayo Saka in good stead now? Would it make a a huge difference, do you think? I'm not sure. But, you know, I look at Pepe from mid-October on the bench Five minutes on the bench, on the bench, on the bench, on the bench, seven minutes on the bench, on the bench, 12 minutes. You know, maybe there was scope to give him a bit more playing time. But I don't know quite yeah. how how much more energy Bakayo Saka would have now if he'd had 15, 20 minutes rest or missed a game or two in October or November. You know what I mean? Yeah, and what's what's tricky is the best players do play all the games yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, even as he goes high up as Messi or whatever, he plays all the games. Um, and Saka, in his career, is going to be a guy who plays all the games because mm. he's so important, so good. Uh, l- listen, I think he's one of the players who will benefit from this this period off. And thank goodness there aren't any England fixtures during it either. I mean, there are some international... Gabriel's going off, I think, yeah. Brazil. Tommy Yasu would have been going with Japan. But not now. Uh, but he's not. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, I think he'll really benefit from it, and hopefully, like I say, comes back recharged. It's a, it is a really tricky one. Like we, I think as fans, we um, we all worry about this, mm. and it's difficult because we're doing it from a position of not a great deal of knowledge. You know, you have to trust that the medical professionals involved are making the right decisions. Um, but it's tricky when your eyes tell you, oh, he looks not quite himself, not quite sharp. Yeah. I think you're right, though. That's the key thing. It's like the best players play. Yeah. And that's what happens in most football teams. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I understand why Saka has been has been playing, but I do think there is scope for a bit more of Pepe in, in the second half of the season. Uh, you know, at least, you know, yesterday, where I think there was one moment when Lacazette, who was actually in the centre-forward position at that point, got the ball in around the D and worked it out to Saka, who took the ball in the box and shot straight into the legs of a of a Burnley player. And that, to me, was a sign that he was just tired. Just a mm. tired guy, um, you know, who'd taken a bit of a kicking, who's done a lot in the last few weeks. And in those moments, when a player shows you that they're, you know, they're feeling fatigued, if you have an option like Pepe on the bench, don't be afraid to use it, even if it means taking off someone like Saka, you know? So maybe we'll see a bit of that. Um, Indeed, after, yeah. After. And, and Amari Hutchinson, it would have been a, an interesting gamble, but, you know, it would have been a significant... It would have been a gamble, you know? It would, it would, but I mean, you could have you could have taken off Lacazette and put Hutchinson on and um, moved Saka or moved Martinelli. You know what I mean? So Rejig there things, are ways yeah. ways of doing it. Okay, well, look, we will leave it there for today. Um, a disappointing way to end January on the pitch, at least that's it. Um, but clearly, there is a week to go. A week to go in the transfer market, and hopefully, uh, we can do some business there to make this month less of a what did he say? Shitly January. Less of a shitty January. January. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, as ever, thank you guys for being here. We'll have more stuff on Patreon for you during the week. Regular programming as usual in terms of the Arsecast this week as well. Um, thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.